Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. We're continuing our series entitled Internal Government. We're going to be looking at what it takes to, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, you know, when we say the idea or the word disciple, a lot of times this this goal seems to elude us. We want to be followers of Christ, but we have these struggles in our lives that keep pulling us back, pulling us back. We, we take two steps forward, but sometimes it seems like we then take three steps back, and we wonder what it is to, to get us to this point where we can understand and actually live a life that is following after Christ. Why is it that we see other people that are living this way, and I just can't do it. For some reason, I, I have this inability to move past this place where I'm at. And we need to recognize that what needs to take place so often is that we have to have discipline. The idea to govern means to control, direct, or strongly influence the actions and the conduct of. And so when we're talking about internal government, we're talking about taking that discipline, that self-control, applying it to our lives, having control and influencing the way we live our lives. Last week, we, we talked and gave examples of how this takes place in every facet of life. We see it in the sports. We see it in music. We see it in medicine. We see it in mechanics. People have to achieve in those areas by disciplining their lives. They practice. They go to school. They exercise self-control so that they aren't distracted. You know, a person who's a great baseball player has to take those ground balls constantly, time after time after time, until he knows how to read them. So he knows where the ball's going to bounce. He knows how to position his body. He knows how to conduct himself in that way. It doesn't just happen. I remember when my son was young and he was in Little League, you know, and they're so cute and the shirts are way too big and the hats hang halfway down their head and it's as small as it can go. I remember my son, he said, Dad, I'm a baseball player, right? And I said, yeah, son, you're... And he goes, no, look, look, I'm a baseball player, right? I'm like, yeah, son, you... And he's like, all I have to do is this and I'm a baseball player. He just wanted, really, he wanted the snacks afterwards. That's what he really... Enjoyed, you know, that's what everyone's going for. Oh boy, you know, who cares if we won? What are we getting for snack afterwards? But to actually achieve in something, you have to practice. You have to be disciplined. You have to master it by mastering yourself. And we know that in every area of life, but why don't we look at that in our spiritual life? Why don't we take that initiative and apply it to our spiritual life and recognize that we have to govern ourselves in those areas as well. You know, we, we all want a faith that will endure through the times of difficulty. We all want that faith that when difficult times come, we're not wavered by them. We have a faith that stands strong. We all want a character that will carry us through times of temptation. We desire those things, but we're not willing to invest in the things that will get us there. And so internal government is an important part of getting us there, of taking those steps that will help us to get past just that stumbling and stumbling and stumbling. Last week we saw how there's two stories in our life. 
There's the story that we have brought with us throughout our history and our past, that that we bring along. And then there's the story that God gives to us anew. I know at the men's breakfast yesterday, Ricky kind of talked about that. He did a great job as he shared about, you know, there's the, the things that we hear in our voice telling us that we are unable to do like Moses when he you know, is told, I want you to go to the nation and set them free from Egypt. And he says, I can't do that. I, I stutter. I'm not able to. But God said, no, you can do this. And finally, Moses says, send someone else. His story was, I'm not able to do that. But God's story was, no, you can do that. And so a lot of us are bringing this story of, I can't do this. And we we talked about Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, sin. And the important part of that passage was to recognize that Paul saw himself as serving the Lord, but he just had this struggle with his flesh. But who he was was not in doubt. What his goal was was never questioned. This is what I'm about. Thank God through Jesus Christ that even though my flesh, I stumble, I am serving God. And we have to take that as our story and live with that focus, live with that goal in spite of our shortcomings. Well, we're going to look this morning at another problem that we have, and that's really taking responsibility for the things that we do. Because it's important that we see who we are in Christ, but it doesn't mean that it advocates us from all responsibility. Well, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ, that's all I need. No, you have to own who you are. It doesn't give you this you get out a free jail card that you can throw and do anything you want at any time you want. There is still the responsibility. And so if you have your Bibles, open it to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and Alex will run one down to you. So just because we recognize the story we want to belong to, we also still need to accept responsibility for the shortcomings that we have. And in Genesis chapter 3, it's a story we're all familiar with. But I think what happens here is something that happens over and over again in our lives. Starting at verse 1, it says, Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And we're going to stop there because that's kind of where our conversation is going to be. You know, here is man and woman in the garden of God. Everything is available to them. And God gives them one thing and says, don't do this. They do what they're not supposed to. They, they make a choice. And when confronted with the choice, their response isn't, yeah, I blew it. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. Their response is, it wasn't my fault. It was her. It was the serpent. Their response to suddenly being aware that things are wrong and being confronted with that is now a recognition of, uh-oh, how do I get out of this? And you see, before they had taken of the fruit and eat it, eaten it, they weren't naked. They were without clothes and unashamed. I have no idea what that's like. Haven't known that since I was three years old. But they were free from that burden. All of a sudden, the burden is on them, this awareness. And the story begins with, with God confronting them with what they have done. You see, God had given them ownership of their lives in that garden. God had told them what they can do and what they can't do. He had given them the responsibility to take care of not only the garden, but themselves. They owned their decision until they made it, and then they no longer wanted the ownership of it. When they were busted, all of a sudden, they wanted nothing to do with their story. They didn't want to take ownership of their behavior and their responsibility. And we all know what that's like. We've all been there. And if you have kids, you know what that's like. Kids don't do anything wrong. And if you only have one kid, it's not the same. Because when you find a broken lamp, you know who did it. <laughs> but when you throw another kid in the mix, and it doesn't matter. You see, Johnny could be eight years old, and there could be a baby that can barely crawl. And when you find the lamp broken, you go, Johnny, who did that? Oh, my sister did. She can't crawl, Johnny. I know she did it, though. All of a sudden, they can pass the buck, and they're quick to do it. They're quick to throw each other under the bus until they turn teenagers, and then they make a pact together. Don't talk to mom and dad. <laughs> 
But we know what it's like not to take responsibility for the things that we do at so many times, and that continues on into our adult life. Husbands and wives, we don't like to own up. For some reason, we think it's better if we can just remain away from the truth. But there may be no more important aspect to your spiritual development than you taking responsibility for your own life. See, because in the end, the story of you is being written with the pen in your hand. Who you are and who you will become is being determined by you. It's not the woman. It's not the serpent. It's not the woman. God, you did this. It's, it's your fault. It is up to you. It is your responsibility. And if we choose to, we can take the pen that is writing our life and we can give it to God and say, God, I, I would rather you write my story. And in turn, God will then give it back to us and he will show us how to write our lives. But that choice is ours. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? When I was at a conference, there was a, a group of people, and there was this time where this man stood up, and he, he was sharing with the group that he had been involved with a relationship. He was a married man. He was a pastor. And he was involved with a, another woman, and he had had an adulterous affair, and he had left that relationship and gone back to his wife and he was just saying that, you know, even though he knows it was wrong and he, he left that situation, he just could not connect back with his wife and he could not find his life where he wanted to be and he was just struggling to, to get back to that place where he knew he had to be. And in the conversation, I, I asked him if he was happy with where he was and with who he was, and he said, no, I'm not. And I asked him again, I said, are you who you want to be? And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, well, I, I would challenge you, and I would say that you are exactly who you want to be. You have made the choices, and you are still making the choices that say, this is who I want to be. Because who else is responsible for who you are? And if you want your life to change, you have to own what you've done and what you're doing and what you will do in the future. That's yours. And until we take that responsibility, we cannot move forward. You know, we see and talk about spiritual things in such a strange way. We, we, we want to give, rightfully so, glory to God, but at the same time, there is a responsibility that we have. You know, when you're playing music, when I used to do and lead worship uh, music, people would come up to me, oh man, you know, I, I really like that song, or I really appreciate that. <laughs> They don't do that anymore. Anyway, uh, I really like that. And, and, you know, so often you hear those things, and I remember hearing so many people say, oh, it's not me, it's God. 
And in fact, I remember telling someone, hey man, you did a great job. Oh no, it's not me, it's not God. And I hear that and I just want to say, no, it was you. If it was God, it would be a whole lot better. <laughs> it was you, but I mean, it was still good. But we're so quick to, oh no, you know, I don't want that responsibility. But you see, whether it's good or bad, it's up to you. It really is. It's something that you have to do. And we're so quick to see responsibility and put it on God and so slow to take it and put it on ourselves. An example. Who saved the world from the flood? Well, in one story, you could say that it was God. God delivered humanity. He called Noah to, to build the ark and to do all those things. And you can definitely see that God was there. That, that's one story. But you see, another very true story is that Noah, this man, saved all humanity. See, God didn't call Noah because Noah was a great boat builder. God looked at Noah and saw that he had a character and he could teach him how to build a boat because he had a lot of time. And in that time, Noah's building away and people are saying, what are you doing? And it, Well, there's going to be rain. What's rain? It's never rained before. And Noah at any time could have said, you know, I'm done with this. This is crazy. I'm going to go back to whatever he was doing. But Noah, day after day, year after year, labored and built the ark. And Noah and his family are responsible for saving humanity. We don't look at it that way, or we seldom do. We seldom take the responsibility and see that a person can make that kind of difference, that a person can actually have that kind of influence, that I as a person can make the difference whether I save humanity or not. Now, maybe we're not in a Noah sense, but you understand what I'm saying. You see, the future God creates, he does through the people that he calls. And those people take the responsibility he never steals from us the capacity to say no. He never robs us of our freedom to make the choice whether we will answer that call or not. The question we need to ask ourselves, are we taking ownership for our lives? Or are we like Adam? It's the woman you gave me, man. I was fine until she came along. You know, what would happen, you know, I tell her, no, I don't want to eat the fruit. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, you don't like my cooking, huh? Okay, forget it. And then I'd be alone. I had no choice. And have you ever noticed when people make excuses, it's never just one excuse. It's always multiple excuses. Someone's late. Oh, I'm sorry I'm late. Yeah, no. You know, there was traffic. Traffic in L.A.? Huh, imagine that. Yeah, and, you know, not only was there traffic, there was, there was a dog. A dog came out on the freeway, and it swerved, and I had to take him off the freeway, and I had to help him out. And then I got back on the freeway, and then I had a flat tire. And then, I mean, the story goes on and on and on. 
there was a meteor shower, you know, I mean, it was a, all of a sudden, there a million excuses instead of, you know what, I didn't leave in time. I was late. That's the truth. You know there's going to be traffic in L.A. Come on, how long have you been living here? This isn't Iowa. You just didn't leave in time, and so you were late. You wish you would have, but you didn't. And so we have to, again, take that responsibility, take that ownership for the things that we do. And instead of making excuses of why we are the way we are, own who we are. You know, when you look at Jesus, we always see Jesus as this amazing healer, this amazing speaker. But do we ever see Jesus as a man who was disciplined? This Thursday, we're going to be going through chapter 4 of Matthew and we talk about the temptation. And think about Jesus going 40 days and 40 nights without food as he fasted. I mean, man, I mean, I fasted and I've gone 40 hours. But that's like 960 hours less. You see, you don't get to a place where you fast for 40 days and 40 nights without having a life that's first been disciplined. And do we ever think of Jesus as being someone who was disciplined in how he lived his life? That he was responsible for his choices and throughout the years he took responsibility of those things. And and to live the lives we want when things are at their worst, we need to be disciplined before those times come. Because we don't know when they're going to come. Oh, yeah, you know when you have that test coming up, I can study, I can cram, I can, I can put all the information in my head so when that day comes, that information comes out. But life doesn't tell us when those tests are coming. They just happen. All of a sudden, the bomb falls and it hits, and we have to be prepared. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 6. Again, a parable, a story that we're familiar with. Luke 6, 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Again, that should strike us. We, we, we like to be associated with Jesus, but we don't really want to listen to him. Verse 47, he says, I will show you, What he is like who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood comes, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on a ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed. And its destruction was complete. I know so many people whose lives have been devastated. And they have come to church ever since they were little. And when the tragedy strikes, they're overwhelmed. They can't process it. They fall apart. They crumble. And they wonder, where is God? Where is God? What's going on? 
But you see, you, you don't have a life that is strong and is on a foundation when the tragedy comes unless you build that foundation in your life on that foundation before the tragedy comes. Because when the tragedy comes, it's too late. Then you see what you've been building on. Then you see what you're really all about. Then you have to own who you really are. And all of a sudden you say, oh God, I cannot handle this. This is overwhelming. Well, what have you been investing in over the years? I've gone to church, God. I've read the Bible. I went to that prayer meeting that time. I did all these things, but it wasn't a part of your life. You weren't disciplined. You didn't govern your life to follow after me. You just paid homage to me. You thought it was good enough. And now, when the torrent comes in, you find out who you really are. Now, what do you do at that time? What can you do at that place where you realize that your life is falling apart and you really don't have it together? Well, you can blame someone. Uh, God, why? how could you do this to me? If, if you're a God of love, how can you allow tragedy to happen in my life? Tragedy has been happening all of life. Have you not seen the news? Have you not been aware? Really, are you surprised when the flood comes, really, are you surprised that death strikes us, that sickness strikes us, that calamity strikes us? Really, are you surprised? Or were you just blind to it, living in this delusion that things weren't going to touch you? And when they do, now you need someone to blame. You need somewhere where you can say, God, why, why didn't you take me from this? Instead, of, you can say, I'm not ready for this because my life hasn't been ready for this. And you own really what has happened, what has taken place, that where you are is because what God has given you and you have not taken it and appropriated it in your lives. Last week, we talked about, we, we bring a lot of things to this party of life. Some of them good, some of them bad. There are habits that we have that we've had all our lives and there's things that happen to us that we have no control over. And again, good and bad. You know, there is genetics that has an influence on who we are to some degree. I mean, it's kind of funny. Some of you are just great looking people and you think it's because of you. Blame mom or dad. Or grandparents have skipped a generation, you know what I mean? You didn't get your good looks, just, yeah, I was born good looking. As if it was your choice. The ones, people who are tall, those are the ones. They act, you know, like it's something they did. Like, how many years did you work at being tall, you know? How'd you do that? I mean, there's things you get just from being born. But it, it swings both ways. I mean, there are definitely medical issues that people have. I mean, whether it's schizophrenia or depression, there are things that are involved with our physical makeup that we bring into our lives. There are also things that were done to us, people who have been abused, people who have been abandoned, people who have been hurt, been wronged in so many ways. 
we, we bring that with us. That's part of our story that influences our life. We, we understand those things. We recognize those things. And I know some of you have come up and you've had just some difficult pasts and, and they've affected your life to some place or another. And sometimes the circumstances aren't your fault. I didn't ask to be born into this family where the father was abusive. I didn't ask to be born into this family where there was a lot of alcohol and drug abuse. I, I didn't ask for those things and they've affected me. They've hurt me. I didn't ask to be brought into this situation where these things happened, where this person wronged me. I, I didn't want that. It's not my fault. And you're right. Those things aren't your fault. And, and so you find yourself there. But as long as you give the ownership of who you are to someone else, you will never be able to change who you are. If you blame someone and say it's their fault and you continue to look at them as being the ones who affected you, if you continue to give that ownership of who you are to someone else, you will never change who you are. And that's what bitterness does. Unforgiveness. Someone wrongs you. Yeah, they, they were wrong. They hurt you. Yeah, they hurt you. Are you going to give them power over your life by allowing that unforgiveness to continue to control who you are? You see, what forgiveness does is it doesn't let them off the hook. What it does is it frees you so that they don't control you. But you have to choose to forgive. It doesn't mean you think what they did was right. You're just not going to let what they did influence your life. This is your life. These are my choices. I'm responsible. I'm in control. Yeah, they wronged me. Yeah, this happened. Yeah, I grew up in this place. But now it's my life. Now I have the reins. I'm going to steer my life where it needs to go. And I'm not going to allow any of these things to be an excuse for me not to do what is right. I am not going to say, God, it's the woman you gave me. It's the parents, the home I was born into. It's the condition that I have to endure. It's this, it's that. No, God, this is me. I own it. I decide what I will do. It's my choice. And that is so important. You know, it's easier to blame others. It's easier to hold on to bitterness. But until you take ownership of who you are, you'll never be who you want to be. You just can't. And maybe the reason all the Bible studies and all the prayer meetings and all the church going hasn't really worked or changed your life is because you really just need to own first who you are. You think that, you know, going to church is going to magically make you a different person, like putting the Bible under your pillow. I'm going to know the Bible. It's going to sink in there. No, it's not. You're going to have a neck ache. It doesn't work that way. Going to church doesn't change a person. Now, it's good that you make those choices. 
Because going to church and you guys being here this morning, it's a step in that you want good influence into your life. It's good to read. The scriptures are life. They will help guide your life. It's good to read those things. It's not a bad thing. Because you're now investing, you're, you're disciplining, you're governing yourself in the right way. But you see, you have to govern yourself completely. It's not just, well, I'll govern myself on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, I can live like hell. But come Sunday, I'm going to be at church again, and I'll have my Bible, and I'll be in the Bible study, and I'll close my eyes, and I'll raise my hands, and I'll say amen, if that's what our church does. But that doesn't change you if it's not complete. And so, again, how you invest your life, the people you hang out with, the things you involve yourself with, they all are a part of who you are. You need to own that. And if you're not taking the right steps to be the person you should be, then it's your own fault. And you have to recognize that. There has to come a time when you stop giving the power of who you are to something or someone else. And you take it, the responsibility yourself. I've always wondered, why did God put that tree in the middle of the garden? Ever wonder that? Couldn't you have put it up on a hill that was far away, that was, you know, just difficult? You know, it, it, like the Christmas decorations in the garage, you know? Like, oh, it's that time again. Okay, pull down this, pull down that thing's falling all over you, dust, spiders, all that stuff. Maybe I'm giving too much information about our garage. God, couldn't you have put that tree across the river somewhere far away? Why did you put it right in the middle of the garden? Anyone else ever wonder that? Just like, why? Why would you do something like that? He required them to own who they would become. He had to give them a choice because without a choice, there is no freedom and there is no love. There, there had to be a choice. There had to be that. And we have to recognize that there is always going to be a tree in the middle that we have to say no to. There is always going to be something that is in front of us that we have to either give into or not. You know, this idea of discipleship. I, I've been just for years wrestling. How does that work? And I, I've tried so many times. I know I talked to Michael about this. You know, we, we've, we've talked to people. It's like, okay, I'm going to disciple this person. And man, you spend days, you spend weeks, you spend your life on people. You take them with you. You invite them to things. You, you do Bible studies with them. You get books for them and you do all these things and you have this, you know, mentor-mentee kind of relationship going on. But I've noticed that I cannot make anybody love Christ if they don't want to. You cannot do it. You just can't. It doesn't matter how many things you tell them to do. 
It doesn't matter what you make them do. This goes for moms too, by the way. It doesn't matter. You cannot make your children love God. You can't. I know it's frustrating. We want to take the tree and get it out of the garden. No, don't make that choice. You can't. I'm going to put you in a cage. No choices for you. What are you thinking? Where are you going? Huh? What are you doing? And we dance all around them. No, stay away from the tree. Stay away from the tree. And the minute they have freedom, they make their choice. You cannot make someone love God if they don't want to. And you can never tell someone what to do. All you can do is present the choices, give them the clearest options, help them to see as clearly that what they can do. But if you really want to help someone, you need to give them the ability to choose. All you can do is try and pull out who they can be if they make the right choices. But they have to make the choice. And that falls back on us. We have to make the right choice. We have to own who we are. If you don't want to be like Christ, you'll never be like Christ, no matter what you do. But if you want to be who God's designed you to be, then you need to see clearly where you are and own responsibility for who you are. It's the person who says, how much junk food can I eat and still not get fat? See, that person's going to have a struggle losing weight because their mentality isn't there. They're, they're not wanting to be healthy. They still want the stuff, the donuts. You know, it, it's, it's the guy who says, well, how far can I go with my girlfriend before it's a sin? Physically. You can't date my daughter at all, sorry. If you've got that mentality, you're destined for problems. How much can I do and still be considered a follower of Christ? You're going to crash and burn. It's just a matter of when. If you've got that mentality, you're not trying to avoid the tree. You're really trying to taste it as much as you can without getting the consequences of it. It's, it's that way in every area of our lives. You, you can't take those things and just assume that you're not responsible for those things. We have to recognize these areas of our lives. How much do I have, have to give but still be considered generous. You're not generous if you're worried about it. If you're generous, you wonder, how much can I give before I have to start getting help from other people? You just give. How, how close to God can I get? How, how can I get closer to God? How, how can I be a person who is like Jesus? You see, when you have this mindset and you recognize the things in your life that are keeping you from that place, then you get rid of those things and you start moving forward into a healthy relationship. And so we need to take that responsibility and own the things that we do and recognize that we make the choices 
that determine who we will be. And so the question then comes, what choices are you making in your life? Own and see clearly what you're doing and understand that that's putting you where you are. That God is for you, to help you, to move you along. But what he requires is you to take responsibility. What would have happened if Adam wouldn't have given in? What if Adam would have said, you know, I was responsible for taking care of the situation and Eve take, took the food, fruit and I, I didn't take it, but I'm sorry I didn't watch over her the way I should have. I, 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 take, I take the responsibility for her fall. Does that sound familiar? Sounds kind of like Jesus, doesn't it? What if Adam wouldn't have given in. He could have become the Savior. Just because he owned the responsibility of the choice. What would happen to you and I if we looked at our lives and, and we were honest and said, you know what? There's some things in me that shouldn't be here. There are some things that are, well, they're just not good. I know they're not right in my relationship with you, God. I see them, I acknowledge them, and I chose them. What would happen to us if we actually were truthful to God and looked at our lives clearly and saw the things that we know are wrong and changed them? Who would we be? What kind of men and women would we be? Because when, when I say, you know, the things that are wrong in your life, your mind probably already lists them. They probably flash up real quick. And you might be quick to say, oh, no, let's not talk about that. I, I like that. I don't want to get rid of that just yet. So what you're doing is not owning it. Saying, no, no, that's not me. What if you really did own it and you looked at it and said, oh, God, this is pretty bad. This, this thing in my life, it's pretty messed up. And I've got a lot of ugly stuff. I've got a lot of bitterness. I've got a lot of unforgiveness. I've got a lot of hatred. I've got a lot of habits that are bad that I've just gotten used to. And I've kind of numbed myself to hearing your voice about them anymore. I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I shouldn't be a part of this. But, you know, I just, I don't know what else to do. Are you going to make an excuse? Or are you going to say, God, yeah, that's me. It's wrong. I need to change. Because to be a disciple and to fall after Christ means you own who you are. And you say, God, I'm writing my life and I don't like the way it looks. I don't want this to be me anymore. I want you to write this because I'm not doing a good job. This is really who I am. I don't like it. You take the pen. Show me what to do. And God will say, okay. And like a, a parent with a kid and they're working, showing them how to do their numbers, he goes, let's, let's write something new. And gives you a new beginning. To have that new beginning 
You have to govern yourself. Be responsible. You have to see things clearly from God's perspective. And you have to really own who you are. And allow God now to redirect you to what you need to be. Let's pray. Father, I don't think I'm alone in just recognizing all the areas of my life that I fall short in and I fail to represent you in. And I know that for me to move forward, I have to be honest. Honest with myself. You already know. I have to take ownership of who I am in all my dysfunction, in all my character flaws, in all my physical limitations. I have to take back the responsibility that only falls on me. And the reason I'm not who I want to be or should be is, is because I really don't want to be that. And sometimes that's a hard thing to admit, especially to ourselves. It's a lot easier to live a lie. It's a lot easier to close our ears and our mind to the things in our life that just aren't right. To say that we love you but not really live for you, to, to go on and move through our lives, but the flood will come, the the waves will crash in and our lives will be tested. And this is no surprise. And so God, now help us to start making the right choices. Help us to start doing the things for the right reasons that will give us stability in our future, whatever that future might be. That'll give us emotional stability that'll give us spiritual stability, that will give us that relationship with you that doesn't waver, that doesn't falter when circumstances change, that doesn't cave in when temptations come, that is able to stand and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the responsibility for the choices I make, and I'm going to make this choice now. I know my life, I've made this other choice, but today I am choosing responsible choice of who I will be. And God, I pray you would take these truths and help us to grow up. Help us to learn from Adam, from Eve, from that not wanting to be responsible, from that being quick to pass the buck, make excuses for why we are who we are. And not only to make excuses, to make the excuse that we can't make a difference, we can't change. This is just who I am. To lie to ourselves and not realize that we still have a choice. God, as the choice is before us, I pray we make the right one. And I ask that you would help us 
to see these things clearly so that we can move forward in our lives. To ask it in Jesus' name, amen.